Hello and welcome to Getaway Day. This is episode 69. I am Mason. He is Gautham. And today we're going to be talking about some supreme second halves. Uh, before we get into that, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube. And on YouTube, don't forget to click that notification bell so that you see whenever we post new content. Uh, make sure you let us know your thoughts in the YouTube comments or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. I think Spotify might have that feature now. Um, or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Facebook at Getaway Day Pod. Um, Gowie, how's it going? What have you been up to? Anything fun? Um, yeah, having lots of fun. Uh, summer is just speeding by, and apparently next week is August already. What's going on? Yeah, that's that's wild to me. Uh, I feel like it was about... I, I mean, to be honest with you, it still feels like it's like maybe June 2020 to me. <laughs> You're just stuck um, there forever. Hey, it's not February 2020 anymore, so some time has passed. Yes. Uh, You know, like, you you watched Interstellar, right? Uh, You came with us when we went in college? Yeah. Yeah, so remember when they went on to that one planet where, like, uh, when they were on it for, like, five minutes, it was, like, 70 years on Earth? (laughs) Honestly, I can't say I remember it. Wow. Okay, we need to watch Interstellar again soon. Uh, but I feel like I've been on kind of the opposite planet where I've been so far away from a black hole, uh, instead of being right next to one that, uh, three months in, uh, or that what two and a half years of actual time has only been three months. So yeah, it's a good movie though. We, we need to watch it again. So been watching a lot of baseball this week. Now that we're back in the swing of having games every day. Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, definitely good to be back. And this this week was a really weird schedule. A lot of two-game series. Um, the Cubs had a two-game series on Monday and Tuesday at home. And they had a day game on a Tuesday, which I've never heard of them having before. So that was a little huh. weird. Yeah, that is a little weird. I guess they didn't want to keep the little kids in Wrigleyville awake past, like, six? Yeah, I guess not. I know. They know it's still summer, right? Yeah, and, and and they got today off, and they're going to San Francisco this weekend. So Interesting. And the Cardinals are finishing up a two-game set over in Toronto right now. Um, it's not been going well, but we'll talk about something that went way worse for a team against the, uh, <laughs> the Blue Jays the who are Blue hot. Blue Jays here, here pretty quick. But uh, I don't know. What do you say we get right into it? Sure, let's do it. All right, so uh, we got a couple things we want to talk about today. And first and foremost, I think we have to discuss the elephant in the room. Uh, oh, he left. My bad. There's no elephant behind me. Um, <laughs> no, but the trade deadline is here in six days. Next Tuesday, all... I can't remember exactly how it works now because it used to be there were two different deadlines. How does it work now? Just all trades, basically? There's just one single deadline now. There's no waiver claim deadline, which used to happen a month after the regular trade deadline. DFA players can still get traded, right? Um, yes, I think so. Okay, but for basically non-DFA trades, all have to be done by next Tuesday. 
Yes. Okay. So with that being said, uh, we've had some wild and crazy action so far. Uh, the big trades we've seen, Daniel Vogelbach going to the Mets for Colin Holderman, Michael Perez being DFA'd and traded for cash to the Yankees, the Royals getting the 35th pick for Drew Waters, Andrew Hoffman, and CJ Alexander. Wow, what crazy trades. Yeah, so thing we know about trade deadline season is that things don't really get going until the very end for the most part, just because that's how people work. Deadlines, right? Deadlines drive the action. Yeah, I, it's usually more evenly paced than like free agent signings, though. So it, it's I'm sure weird we'll to me start that getting a, a trickle of them coming through maybe later this week, maybe Friday, Saturday. Yeah, I, I honestly kind of thought that yesterday we would start seeing these little ones. Um, and, and I guess technically Vogie counts as that, but he's like the only like actual trade that's occurred. Because like the, the Royals trading the pick for prospects that happened back in the beginning of the month. And that's kind of a new thing as well. That was more of a draft pick swap than yeah, anything. That's, that's kind of interesting. We haven't seen a whole lot of those compensation picks being traded, but maybe that'll become something that is a little bit more popular. Yeah. And uh, like Michael Perez, uh, DFA trade for cash. That's pretty typical. And that's so the like, Mets just looking for a catching, catching help and immediate catching help. So that, oh, that, was to, that was to the Mets. I thought I read that was to the Yankees. That's awkward. That was to the Mets. And um, they basically have had the worst catching situation in the league with their injuries to James McCann. Tomas Nito hasn't been so good. And hey. just because they go out and get Michael Perez does not mean that they would be stopped from getting a big catcher. There will be no Tomas Nito slander. I mean, he's not been good. That's all I said. No, no slander. slander. It's just a fact. I, I will not allow any slander to my boy Tomas Nito. Okay. I need that first Bowman auto that I got out of the uh, the Walgreens box to skyrocket in value. I need okay, him to win the MVP. Keep dreaming. Okay. Oh my god. Let's okay. move on. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So it, there's not been a whole lot of action yet, but there's a lot of rumors on different guys that are about to go. We talked about Juan Soto last week, um, but like while he's kind of the big name that people are pretty confident is going to be traded, um, if not by Tuesday, this offseason, pretty much for sure, it people are pretty confident he'll be uh, on a different team. So but, I guess with Soto... If he does get moved at this deadline, do you think that he could get moved, you know, days before the deadline? Because this doesn't feel like something that can come together on Tuesday and just happen. This this is going to be like a big deal. They've got to have well, this really well thought out. Well, so, yeah, that and the fact that basically that is determining every other trade. That's the other thing. Yeah. So there's a point where, like, if he doesn't get traded by, honestly, probably. I'll say it's like if, Saturday or Sunday, right? I was going to say, if he's not traded by, like, Friday, I kind of think that you start seeing different suitors for Soto backing out, going and finding options number two and three. Um, the Dodgers have some things that they've been talking about wanting to do. They haven't publicly said which things, but they're like, yeah, we're kind of waiting to see what happens with Soto first. Um, and teams like the Dodgers, like if, if the nationals are not going to be realistic, 
and they're just going to sit there and and basically hold on until the very last minute, they'll go somewhere else. This is one yeah. of the top teams in the league. They need to bolster their roster and they need to bolster it in the way that they're comfortable with. If Soto is going to be the only move they can make, maybe it's worthwhile, but there's a lot of other needs that teams have. So the the Nationals are kind of in that weird spot where like if they wait too long, they're basically bidding against themselves at that point because they're going to start losing suitors. Which, yeah, I, I could see that, but at the same time, they are they should be holding all the cards in this situation because they don't have to trade them right now, and they correct. Can, they're which, just fielding offers from everyone, and they as they should be, and they shouldn't have to settle for any poor offer. Well, correct, and so I, I kind of think if he's not moved by Friday, he'll be or maybe Saturday, then he'll be an off season trade piece. Yeah, but. I, I just I don't see it coming together very last minute on that one. No, not at all. Um, but some other guys who are kind of the that next echelon of of players that are on the, the block. One of them is very near and dear to your heart. And that's Wilson Contreras. Um, yeah. So he played his last game at Wrigley Field. Well, probably his last game at Wrigley Field as a Cub. Yesterday, he was getting standing ovations in every at bat and he was super emotional about it. I mean, he's like, um, I mean, basically seen him for more than, more than half a decade now playing for the Cubs since 2016, been basically the everyday catcher the entire time since then. So tough one for Cubs fans to lose, obviously, but this one we could see coming pretty much all year long that it was going to happen. Yeah, and and honestly, at the deadline last year when he didn't go, that's kind of when the clock started ticking. Is it doesn't feel like he's going to be there past this deadline, right. unless he got extended in the off season, which we all know now he didn't. So, yeah, but there's been a lot of rumors to like him to the Mets, him to uh, there's Padres. been conversations about him to the Padres, him to the Astros. Uh, he's one of those guys that he's not Juan Soto, but no team can go wrong. Trading for Wilson Contreras. So, because he is probably the best catcher in the league. Yeah, I, I would say so. He, I feel definitely yeah. top three. Yeah, I was going to say he's top three, but I was trying to think off the top of my head as I was saying that if there's anybody that I would say is better than him, and I don't think there is. I think he's the best catcher in the league. So, um, Another guy who uh, is kind of the tear down from Wilson then is actually starting pitching. So starting pitching, it sounds like there's a lot more guys that are on the trade market that are high value guys with control than than I think typically would be available at a deadline, isn't there? Yeah. Before like, we talk about this guy that you have listed here, how about Tarek Skubal on the on the block potentially? That's like a big one, and that one surprises me a lot because we're talking about a guy that's in his second year. I think yeah. he will be a free agent after 2026. So yep. I don't really understand what the Tigers are thinking there unless they they feel like they can just jump this market and get some massive haul because not a whole lot of other guys are going to get moved starting pitching wise. But that's their future well, right there. 
And it, it kind of seems like they had a complete change in uh, mindset from the offseason this year to now, where there's they thought they had a really good young core, and now it feels like they think that their core is not that good. And so we're listening to offers on every single player. Like, yeah, they're not going to trade every single player, and they probably don't want to trade they these can't guys like trade Scooble. every player, right? Well, yeah. Scooble is one of the only guys that has some real value. And he, he yeah. does have a lot of value, but outside of him, who are you trading for the Tigers that that's going to get you much? There's no yeah, one that's going to get you much. Uh, it would have to be your prospects, but like, yeah, it doesn't make sense yeah. to me. It doesn't make sense to me to trade Scooble at all. Like, I I get that he could get you a big return, but he's like the guy in that rotation. Yep. Basically, all their other guys haven't really panned out, and, and they've had tons of injuries to the starters. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, um, others. No is, one's is really Erod still hurt? He's not hurt, but he's, he's working his way back. He was, like, on the restricted list and whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But, so I don't know. Yeah, that's... That's a weird one to me. But a, a team that does have some starting pitching uh, that they can deal from to help bolster some of their other moves is the Marlins with Pablo Lopez. He's probably the most likely to go. I think he's got what, two more years. We, we said, yep. Two more uh, years. He's been really good this year. He's been good basically for a few years now. The only thing with him is his durability because he's had shoulder issues, like three of the four last, last seasons. Um, but but he has not know. missed a start in 20 starts so far this year. Right. So, so looking that's good a good and, sign. And he's a guy that definitely would slot into basically any, any team's playoff rotation. Um, he's still super young. I think he's 26 now. So that, that would be a good get for any team. And, and from the Marlins side, it makes a ton of sense to do this because they're kind of not looking so hot for making the playoffs this year. And they've got a whole bunch of starting pitching coming soon. Uh-huh. To augment yeah. what is already a really good starting rotation. And starting pitching that has a, a pretty realistic chance of having someone that supplants Pablo Lopez, moves him down in the order, makes this guy who would essentially be a number two starter on basically any team, their number five. Like pitching is their strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually talking about it today when the Cardinals made that trade that sent Gallon and Alcantara over to the Marlins. Like the Cardinals were dealing from, uh, an area of strength and starting pitching throughout the entire system. So they could trade those two top prospect or top pitching prospects for Marcelo Zuna at the time to help bolster the offense. That's kind of exactly what the Marlins need to do right now. Yeah. They're all absolutely brutal. It's yeah. terrible without some of their guys, like they're missing Cooper and they're missing jazz right now, but there's not a whole lot of uh, thump or anything else in that lineup right now. Yeah. Uh, The last guy I want to talk about from a trade standpoint is a guy who there's been some rumors about, but not anything like terribly concrete. I think it's more just uh, what would this look like sort of thing. And that's Shohei Otani. Like Art, uh, Artie Moreno, not likely to let Shohei go uh, because there's so many things about Shohei that like, even if your team sucks, if you have him under contract, he brings in so much money that it's almost like not smart to trade him for anyone. 
Um, but we've talked about kind of what Juan Soto would net you, and they're asking for like five to six prospects with like three of them in the top hundred or uh, three of them in the top so many, and then the rest being like pretty decent prospects. What would Shohei get you? It yeah, would have to so, be insane. So the thing go to on, on the Soto topic, we're talking about what it might take to get him, but at the same time, there's no comp, so we don't actually know what it's going to take to get Soto, right? We've never seen any trade like this, and I yeah. think it's the same way with Otani, right? Well, and um, even more so for Otani because Otani is essentially you trading for two players. Yeah, that are both. Uh, I think I saw a comp today that was like. Um, from a pitching standpoint, he's actually pretty darn comparable to uh, Max Scherzer this year. Uh, and then from a hitting standpoint, he's pretty comparable to Matt Olson. So he's essentially $64 million in uh, salary, and he's making five or something <laughs> stupid low. Yeah. And sure. he's got another year of control. And he comes with the marketability of basically an entire country to support him. So this man is basically a hundred million dollar a year man, in in my opinion. That's that's obviously a bit of a stretch. But like if you think about all the on field value and the off field value he brings you, he's essentially a hundred million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, there's a report about what the Angels kind of would be looking for if they made this trade and they were looking for like four or five major league caliber players like starters so from that ask it doesn't make any sense for any team to do that no matter how good this guy is because what contending team is going to say hey we'll give you our second baseman our left fielder our center fielder our catcher and uh another guy there's one team guy. there's one team I could think of that could do it because their upper uh, upper minors are basically just another major league team. The Dodgers. Uh, yeah, the Dodgers. And yeah. they're not going to do it. But that would be basically the only team I think that could do that. And even I don't understand really where what the Angels are thinking. Are, are they thinking they can contend this year because they're kind of on a pace to lose over 90 games this year. It doesn't make sense to for them to really push in for that. It's just not going to happen. Trout's hurt. Like, what, what are they going to do? Yeah. But it Otani's not going to sign back with them when he reaches free agency. I no, just, he I, wants to win. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised that he went there in the first place, to be honest with you. Yeah, true. But... Maybe it was the Mike Trout draw. Uh, probably it was. it was the Mike Trout draw. Uh, but Not necessarily, but could have been, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Shohei would... If he were to get moved, holy crap. That would basically... So Juan Soto getting moved would basically upend the balance in uh, in the majors in general. If Shohei got moved... Wow. Yeah. That would that would basically take a team from being really good to just straight up being the the favorite, I think. So how about this? So let's say Soto gets traded this uh in, in the next week. Um and then the Angels are really bad in the first half of next season. Maybe that's 
kind of a, it'll give us an idea of what the Shohei Otani trade could be next year. Yeah, the thing that would make it interesting there is Otani would be a half year rental at that point. He'd be a rental, yeah, but so like from a from an insane value standpoint, this is their last chance, basically. Okay. Uh, may, maybe during the off season, but like they're not doing that. To, in the but but to get like an exorbitant uh, return, this is your chance. So I. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think Artie's going to let Perry Manassian do that anyway. I don't think Perry Manassian would even attempt to. No. Um, so. Eh. Uh, all right. So. We don't really want to get into speculating uh, where players are going to go. Uh, just because every time we do that, we're incredibly wrong. Um. <laughs> He'll just and, let it play out and, and enjoy it like that. Yeah, so we'll talk about it next Wednesday after everything's happened. Because uh, with the deadline being Tuesday, that'll give us enough time to at least have some thoughts on the matter. Uh, but, yeah, so I think that's about all we're going to talk about for the deadline today. We do have uh, three teams we want to talk about. I actually have a giveaway that I'm going to announce here after we do that. And then we'll get into kind of our favorite second half. Favorite second halves in kind of our lifetime, just that we've seen. So, Gowie, you want to take us into a little bit of a conversation here about the Boston Red Sox? Yes. So the Red Sox have just been struggling in basically every every facet of uh, everything right now. And I guess this conversation is a little bit trade deadline adjacent because people don't really know what's going on with the Red Sox. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they doing both? Are they trying to do both? They're in last place right now, which is just an absolute shock to, I think, almost everyone. How can the, how can the Red Sox, who were playing um, the round right before the World Series last year, be below the Orioles the next year? But this... I feel like the Red Sox do this every so often, right? They've they've kind of just yo-yoed back and forth between being insanely good and insanely bad. It's it's I very mean, odd. There's I, no I other team that does it like that. Yeah. I think they've legitimately in four years went uh, basically um, last to first to last to first. And that was like with the World Series in the middle there too. Yeah. Because so, they won the World Series and then I think we're last place the next year. I think that's right. Or at least fourth place. They might not have been below the Orioles, but they were they were bad. Uh, I think yeah. that was back in 2014. So like, yeah, there's been some time in between. Um, but no, but they're they're really screwed right now from a from a health standpoint. Like out of their major league roster, they have 12 guys on the IL, uh, three hitters on the 10 day, one hitter on the 60. Uh, they have three starters on the 15 day, one starter on the 60, uh, two relievers on the 15 day, two relievers on the 60. Yeah. And, and it's so, not just, it's not just starter quality guys. Like these are, they're good players too. It's Rafael Devers. It's Trevor story. Um, Kike Hernandez. Yeah. He's been out for a while. Rich Hill and Michael Waka, who were really good earlier this season have both been out for an extended period of time. Chris sale had the unfortunate, um, finger breaking incident, which uh, yeah. sucks in his second game back from the other injury. So he'll be his, out his for finger, a while. His finger looked nasty. 
Yeah, he immediately happened. walked off the mound and it looked like this. You can yeah. see me on YouTube. I don't suggest it. It's no. not a pleasant sight. <laughs> no, really not. So but right yeah, now, but then they're left. But then they're this, also like, missing like some of their better relievers in Matt Strom, Matt Barnes. Like this is a team that is hurting with like really good starting quality guys at every position. Mm-hmm. Um. So with all that being said, though, I just I can't accept that this team is this bad. And I think things could really just turn around, especially if they get like Devers and, and um, Trevor Story back and they get back to doing what they do, which is score a bunch of runs. Um, yeah. So do you think this team would would uh, legitimately try to like sell a Xander Bogarts who has an opt out in his contract and could very well leave them or like a J.D. Martinez or or any of their their big guys you see them trading? So. Let's see. Let me get the actual standings pulled up because I know they're in last place, but they're not that far out of a wild card spot either. So it's right. it's kind that's of a the, weird situation. Yeah. Um. Come on, just let me click on the button and quit giving me advertisements. Um. So they're three and a half games back from the wild card, uh, which the second wild card is currently held by Tampa in their own division. They are half a game behind Baltimore. And this is a team that's been drastically underperforming uh, from a hitting standpoint. They have a negative 15 run differential. Uh, if you if they weren't three and a half games back, this would be an easy, easy. Yeah, you sell. You try and get Xander out of there, get something back for him. You try and sell uh, off on JD. Um, but they're 500 still. And they're missing half their team like. Uh, they could very realistically still take the the first wild card spot. They're they're out of it in division, like winning the division. Like the Yankees have basically already buttoned it up with a uh, eleven and a half, going to be a twelve game lead here once the Cardinals win this game. Um, but I don't think they are going to sell. I, I think because of how close they are to being in in one of the wild card spots, I think they're they're still. I think they're gonna try and contend because, like, with there being three wild cards now, realistically, fourth place can still get you a wild card. Yeah. So essentially, the teams that are still competing for the wild card, right? You got the Mariners, you got the Guardians, and the White Sox. Um, and then the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Orioles, and the Red Sox. And it's weird to say uh, Baltimore is uh, technically still contending for a wild card spot, but it's true they are. They're they're a game over five hundred. But I think that's a team that everyone could most easily see just falling out of it at some point this month. Yes, next month. yeah, that, that's a team that one hundred percent I do believe is going to fall out of it. But as we speak, we can't completely rule them out. Yeah. And just generally speaking, all those teams I listed, like the Red Sox fit in that group of teams. They're they're not like clearly worse or better than those teams. They they belong where they are, I guess, right now. Yeah. So I the, I think they gotta go out and get a, a starting pitcher. That's like the number one thing they should do. The really weird thing about Boston is they've actually not won a series against a division opponent yet this year. That is really weird. Yeah, they've not won a single series. And how many games do they have left against the Orioles? That might that, be a key. 
That is a good question. How do I check that? Uh, Boston schedule. Uh, August, they have they have a makeup game on the 11th, uh, three game series in Baltimore on the 19th through the 21st. They've got uh, so let's see, that's four. They've got a three game series in Baltimore from the 9th to the 11th of September. So it's seven. Uh, and then they've got a four game series in Boston, uh, the 26th through the 29th of September. So they've got, uh, what, 11 games left. So that's a lot of games against the Orioles. You know, that, that could help in a big way. It could help, but they need to actually start maybe winning <laughs> some them. games against division opponents. Cause yeah. In the games they've played so far, like granted, they've not played very many. Uh, they lost uh, three or so they they won two of five in a five game set in Boston uh, from the 27th to the 30th of June. They only took one of three in Baltimore back in uh, April and May, like. This is a team that's just legitimately not good in their division, and it makes no sense because they're amazing against every other team. Is that just showing the parity in that in just the league from the AL East to the rest of the American League? Or I I can't actually decide what that means. I think it's probably uh, probably wouldn't won't continue like that all the way, but. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's mostly because it's a really tough division in general. Yeah, but how have they not won a single series yet? Yeah, that's, that's shocking. But, and they are on a 2-8 and eight slide right now, so that's also not looking great for them. But, yeah, but uh, I guess moral of the story is, though, for a team that's been struggling in their division and a lot recently... Um, I do think they still have a pretty good shot of making a wild card. Yeah, they struggle against good teams. They're 31 and 40, but that's mostly because of their own division um, against teams over 500 there. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I It's really hard to say. Like some of these other teams, I have a pretty decent idea of what's going on there and what they might do. Um, for instance, San Francisco, they're, they're kind of the next one we've got on the list here. Uh, San Francisco is currently 48 and 50, two games under 500. They're three games back from the third wild card spot. Um, they're 17 and a half back from the Dodgers in the, um, in the NL West. Uh, they're currently on a three and seven slide. They're they, they're not they, doing they, well. They're currently on a seven game losing streak. In fact, oh wow, yeah. So so yeah, it, it's they're been just a really rough time for the Giants. So they, and they like, nothing, they also nothing, do have an injury issue right now, right? Because like Longo's hurt. They got um, some injury guys for sure, but I think more than the injuries, it's like all their guys are not really doing as well as last year. So like Brandon Bell's not been the same. Mike Yastrzemski, Lamont Wade. Um, Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford, yeah. All those guys who who had like really standout seasons last year that made them 
whatever the 108 win team, 107 win team, whatever it was, that team is not around anymore. Um, yeah. I, w- w- where do you go if you're the Giants? Like this team's really old. Um, they don't really have a bunch of prospects that are going to make a huge impact soon. So it's like this team feels like it's just stuck in the middle right now. Yeah, they they called up David. David was kind of like the only prospect they had that was close to the majors. Like, Helio Ramos, I think, is close. Um, He's had a little bit of time this year, yeah. Has he? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Gregory Santos is close. But, like, outside of that, they, they're three years out from having all their big prospects. Um. This is a team that they don't accept rebuilds like it just San Francisco just does not do that. Farhan uh, does not seem like a guy who will go through a full rebuild. But this is a team that's in a really weird situation because their guys are aging. They're not very effective anymore. Um, They don't really have good replacements. Like in the short term for some of these older guys. There's not a lot of trade value, so it's not like they can trade off like a Longo or trade off like a Brandon Belt. And so I don't know, like they need to start making some moves, but I don't see a way that they can right now. Yeah, um, I just, yeah, I was just thinking about like, the difference between last year and, and this year, which I can't stop thinking about because it just seems so different, even though most of the players are, are roughly the same. But it's just like what I keep coming back to is that when you have a bunch of like mid-tier players, not necessarily superstars, but good players, there just seems like there can be plenty more variance in the results you get. You, you're not getting like a steady... Um, performance you're not getting steady performances like from your superstars because they don't have any superstars yeah like this is a team that um so i i have a a friend who's a big giants fan and he wants more than anything for aaron judge to come back home to san francisco and and honestly that's what san francisco needs is like a big superstar bat a guy who's going to be pretty consistent when he's healthy uh, ideally a guy who's also healthy all the time judge isn't necessarily that guy, but he's not been hurt this year. Knock on wood. Um, they need a guy like that to anchor this, this lineup because one superstar guy does tend to elevate some of the middling guys as well. Like, I think that's why that team clicked so well last year is because you had one to two guys that were, uh, performing at a really high level and it brings that club up and then just, everyone kind of started to mesh this year. You don't have that. So all these guys are just kind of struggling to find their footing. They all kind of feel like the offense is on their shoulders and it just makes it a lot more difficult to, to perform at a high level. So, and then uh, Buster losing Buster Posey was, was huge. Like that was a yeah. big hit to this team. Cause Joey Bart is not, not Buster Posey. No, and he hasn't even been very good offensively no. or defensively. So like, it's a huge downgrade based no, off he, what Buster did. 
he does have a high prospect pedigree. He does have upside, but he's not going to be able to replace what you lost in Buster. I'll be honest. I'm losing hope very rapidly well, right now. I, I have to, but I have to be kind of nice. <laughs> so You don't have to. We're just trashing the uh, the Giants here. But one guy that they could trade if they wanted to get something back is Carlos Rodon, who has an opt-out in his deal. Um, he's most likely going to opt out if he stays healthy, and he has done that to this point, and he's been pretty good. So that's a that's their big trade chip, and I think they also, should do it. Also, Jock. Jock, sure. Yeah, why not? I mean, at, at this point, like, you're not going to win the division. The chances of you getting a wild card are slipping by the day. This kind of feels like one of those situations where, yeah, those two guys can get you some return, so I would do it. And if you trade for Jock, you win the World Series immediately. It's never not I, happened. It's true. Yeah. Um, well, unless you trade for him at the first half of the year. They didn't trade for him. The Cubs did, though. They didn't trade for him. They signed him. Oh. Don't don't never sign Jock. Always trade for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I think the last team before we get into the giveaway and the actual main topic that surprisingly we have talked a lot more about this stuff than I thought we would uh, is the Marlins. So the Marlins are. They're four and six in their last 10 games, 46 and 51 on the year, four and a half back of the wild card, 14 back of the division lead, uh, which is currently held by the Mets. Uh, This team, as we mentioned earlier, is terrible at scoring runs, but they're really good at not giving up runs, yet they still have a negative run differential. Yeah, this offense like makes me sad. It's just so bad. Right now, their their signings from the offseason, Avisail Garcia and um, Jorge Soler, who's I think he's injured right now. Um, they both haven't really worked out too well. And then their young players, like Jesus Sanchez, um, I guess Jazz kind of worked out, but he's hurt himself. But like Jesus Sanchez hasn't really made the, the strides that people expected him to time out. Yeah. When did J.J. Bleday get called up? He got called up over the weekend or last week or something. He had his full, the, first home run this uh, today. How the heck did I miss that? I, I'm a big J.J. Bleday believer, by the way, just for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, I think the kid is incredibly good. Uh, I have his uh, first Bowman Sapphire, uh, PSA 9 or 10, I can't remember which, sitting back behind me. Um, sorry, continue on. I just I saw him not just in the roster, but like in roster resource listed as the starting center fielder. And it kind of shook me there. So. Yeah, but <laughs> I guess that's, that's <laughs> kind of the, the it's like, he's their starting uh, third hitter and he's like barely played five games in his career. It's not, not great. No, he, he actually was having a really good season at triple A and, he he's got some really good on base skills. So yeah. And, and he was a top draft pick in his year. He was uh, the fourth overall pick back in 2020, I believe 2019. Sorry. Um, so yeah, like he's, 
he's a good young prospect with a, a pretty good amount of upside, but five games into your career is not where you would expect to be batting third. Even if you're good. Like, so that's not a great sign. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, just looking at their their roster, it, it just kind of makes me cry. It's not good. Jacob Stallings is their starting catcher. Williams Ostadio is in their starting lineup. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, I think, deserves a shot. He's still really young. Um, Luan Diaz is kind of the same way. But these are not guys that have broken out and done anything yet. And they're, they're putting a lot of weight on their shoulders to carry this offense. Like... Uh, Jesus Sanchez played 104 days on the active roster last year. Luan Diaz, 104. Neither one of them was really particularly good last year. And that was the extent of their major league experience prior to 2022. So, I don't know. And then their bench is just... Billy Hamilton made their bench. He always got to have Billy around. Yeah, I, I don't know where they're going exactly because their their offense is just so bad right now, and that we already talked about kind of how they should move some pitching for hitting, and yeah, so we we don't need to like rehash that, but that seems like a very logical next step. Yeah, but th- they they are getting kind of screwed by the fact that they have uh. Uh, five of their starters on the IL right now. Uh, four of them are all on the 10 day that kind of went on there here the last week. And uh, Garrett Cooper, Brian Anderson, uh, and Jorge Soler. John Birdie is almost at the end of his 10 days. But yeah, I, mm. the Marlins make me sad. You want to talk about something fun? Yeah. All right. So. Uh, as I kind of alluded to last week, uh, this is a big episode for us. Um, I'm, I'm a child. I think the number 69 is funny. Uh, so we're going to do a giveaway in celebration of episode 69. So what I have here for you, oh, I should make it so that the, um, camera doesn't give up on me here. Can I please see my note? Here we go. All right. So what we have for a giveaway is uh, actually the I got this Aloy double bobblehead uh, of Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez uh, that we got um, back at the game that we met Ashley Sanders at on uh, June 25th. Uh, So we're going to be giving away one of those because I have two of them and it's weird if you have two dual bobbleheads and you wear glasses, people call you four eyes, but you see eight things. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so I need you guys to help me not get bullied. So what we're going to do is I've got a couple of announcements that are going to be going out on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. Uh, and they have the instructions on how to enter. But what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to follow Getaway Day Pod on Twitter, TikTok, or Facebook. And then both like and publicly share. That's that's really important that it's public. 
Because if it's not, I can't see that you've done it. I just see that someone did it. So you're going to have to go in and make sure that when you hit share, especially on Facebook, because I know this one is kind of, uh, or Facebook's kind of a pain, you have to go in and actually hit share to public um, as a checkbox. Uh, so if you do that, then you are going to be eligible on each of the platforms. So you can enter three times for this same bobblehead. Um, if you enter by August 10th, which is exactly two weeks from today, we will do that drawing and I will DM the winner and try and get a mailing address and we will do that. If we get over 100 entries, which like I said, you can enter on three different, three different accounts. Uh, so if we get 100 entries, meaning we get 34 people to participate across all three, uh, I will throw in a second prize. I will not tell you what it is yet, but I do have the prize sitting next to me. So, yeah. So if you help us out, uh, enter and share um, so that other people are seeing it, we'll do some fun giveaways. Uh, see, I think that's all I've got for the giveaway. So now let's get to the actual topic we wanted to talk about today, uh, which is second abs. So we're now fully into the second half of the Major League Baseball season. There are no uh, no questions about that. The All-Star break is passed. We're at 100 games, basically. Um, and there are some pretty historic second halves in uh, baseball. Um, Gally and I are both 26 years old. And so we've been watching baseball for pretty most of our lives, I think. Um, uh, I've been watching baseball pretty religiously since I was about four years old. I think you may have started a little later than that on the religiously part. But, like, we've seen some pretty cool stuff. So I just kind of wanted to talk about some of our favorites. Not necessarily trying to rank the absolute best, but just talking about some amazing second halves that we have seen. Um, so, Gowie, you want to you wanna take the first one? Sure. So my first one, it's a bit of a two-parter here, and that's Joey Votto in back-to-back -back years in 2015 and 2016 in the second half. So in 2015, Joey Votto having a pretty good, he actually had a pretty good first half. He hit 277. He hit like 15 home runs. Um, he had a um, he had a 140 WRC plus. So like he's doing very typical Joey Votto things. And then in the second half, it just went crazy. Um, he ended up finishing that second half with a 213 WRC plus, which I think was best in the entire league. Um, he hit 362, hit 14 home runs, and he did the thing that Joey Votto does best, which is take lots of walks. In the second half, he walked 26.5% of the time. So he was just locked in, um, not swinging at any balls ever. And when he was swinging, he was doing serious damage. 1.1152 OPS in the second half that year. So it, I, I actually, just for some context here, um, Joey Votto, what did you say his WRC Plus was in the second half? 200-something. 213. 213? Yeah. Uh, 
the the incredibly famous 2002 Barry Bonds second half. Barry Bonds was 256, and that's that's the like all time high for a half is okay. 256 WRC plus. Votto was nearly to that point. Yeah, that's how good that was. <laughs> and then in 2016, things were even more kind of drastic. So not from a home run standpoint, but from a batting average standpoint, he hit 252 in the second half, but he hit 408 in the second half. And his WRC plus was 120 in the first half, 201 in the second half. So back-to-back years, he just was basically the best player in the league in the second half, which is just unreal. He had a better batting average in the 2016 second half than Barry Bonds did in the 2002 second half. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that year he didn't walk as much. He just walked 15% of the time in the second half. So he, he kind of did it a different way by getting hits instead. And 15% is still an oh, insane yeah. amount. <laughs> but it's just normal for Joey Votto. Nothing crazy. Yeah, but uh, I think the the normal for Joey Votto, uh, people tend to forget how freaking good that is. Yeah. Because like we're so accustomed to it. It's kind of the Shohei treatment. Like We're starting to get accustomed to Shohei doing both pitching and hitting and being really good. Uh, uh-huh. And so a year after he gets MVP, people are like, he doesn't deserve MVP again. No, he still does. Uh, you just want to see someone else do it be- or get it because you've seen this from Otani before. It's kind of that same mindset with Joey Votto doing it in basically back to back second halves and basically his whole career. Um, yeah, no, I, I love that pick, though, for. That was. uh. Was one of those his MVP season? No, his MVP season was actually 2010. So this is years after that. He finished third in the MVP in 2015 and seventh in 2016. Right, is, because because Albert got second in the MVP in 2010 to Joey Votto. I remember this. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Joey Votto's nuts. He kind of sucks this year, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, he's struggled quite a bit. I think he switched back from his hockey puck bat. Yeah, and then he started playing better. So, yeah. Um. All right. So my second half of choice. Uh, this is probably the most biased pick out of all of these. Twenty nineteen Jack Flaherty. Twenty nineteen Jack Flaherty. Uh, was just insane. In the first half, he was not that good. He had a four sixty four ERA. Uh, a 237 batting average against, which isn't terrible. Um, Gave up 20 home runs, 50 earned runs. Uh, His uh, FIP was up in the fours. Um, He wasn't really striking out all that many people. He was under 10 Ks per nine, uh, walking about three batters per nine, and just not great at all. Uh, But then his second half was the polar opposite. And he had a, a Cy Young, Jacob deGrom's, uh, like, ask second half uh, that was actually pretty well, or it was comp to Bob Gibson a lot at the time. Uh, in 99 in the third innings, he had a .91 ERA, which is absolutely minuscule. Uh, 142 batting average against. Uh, he had a... 0.71 whip, a 2.22 FIP, uh, a 206 BABIP, 
So his BABIP was higher than the batting average against, which, I mean, still a pretty low BABIP, but um, he was striking out uh, upwards of 11 batters per nine and only walking two. So just that, uh, his his K percentage uh, jumped about 8% from the first to the second half. And it, it was just absolutely nuts. Um, watching him that season was was so fun uh, in the second half there. And his final season numbers actually ended up looking pretty darn solid. Like, I don't remember if he got Cy Young votes that year. I don't think so, but you could almost argue that he should have. Like, he finished the year with a 275 ERA um, in almost 200 innings um, and uh, put up about five war that year. So just an absolutely nuts second half um, for what started out as a pretty bad season for Jack. Yeah, so in the second half that year, he gave up a four... 424 OPS. So that's like turning every batter into uh, Christian Pache in 2022 oh, for an God. entire second half. That's the third worst um, OPS in Major League Baseball of, among guys that have 90 plate appearances this year. So he basically turned every guy into the worst player in the league for an entire second half of the season. I did not realize that. That's freaking insane. Yeah. But. So he was just dominant. And what sucks about his story is that since that point, he's never got anywhere close to reaching that again. I mean, he's obviously got the talent to it's, pitch like that, but it's he's been never a ton of injuries, a ton of inconsistency. I think mostly due to that, because when he's on, he's on even still to this day, but he's just, just not stayed on lot, the yeah. field. So. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's my my favorite second half of all time. Um, what what other second halves you want to talk about here? Well, I'll talk about my pitcher then, because you talked about yours, um, Jake Arrieta, who I guess probably had a better second half than than uh, Jacks that year in 2015. He was. Absolutely ridiculous in the second half. He had a .75 ERA. Um, his opponent OPS was 431, so pretty much the same. Uh, what was 424, so yeah. Right there with him. Um, he gave up two runs in his last nine starts of the season. And just two home runs in 107 and a third innings pitched. Um, he had a no-hitter in there against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Um, and then he pitched the wild card game for the Cubs against the Pirates, and and he won that game too. So at that point, like there was and no one. We, and then we went to the next game. Yes, we did. Um, but yeah, he was just absolutely dominant. Every time he pitched, you knew that he was gonna just like win. The Cubs are gonna win that game, and he was a huge part of them uh, making the playoffs that year. And yeah. Um, and the, the cool part about his is he had this second half and his first half was also pretty darn good. Uh, 266 ERA, um, with, uh, uh, crap. I can't add this off the top of my head. Uh, 589 OPS, which is not 
not terrible at all. Um, and uh, what was the other number that I was looking for? Forgot. Uh, in a two sixteen batting average allowed uh, with a, a one whip, and that was that was his first half, and that's really good. And then you throw a second half in there with it, and his his season numbers looked phenomenal. Like he he won the Cy Young that year, and I. There were some amazing other candidates. Zach Greinke and Clayton Kershaw were absolutely dominant for the Dodgers that year, and he surpassed them just because the second half was that good. Yeah, I think he. I don't think he had the lowest ERA in the league that year, right? His one seventy seven was actually second to Greinke's like one fifty two or something, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but an absolutely astounding year, and he pitched two hundred and thirty innings that year too. Right, he was a horse, so, and and. You're, you were talking about his first half, which was pretty good. It also carried into the 2016 first half, and that was also a part of his dominance, kind of. Yeah, that if you could put a guy in the Hall of Fame for a like year and a half long period, yeah, he's he's a no doubt Hall of Famer. Um, but yeah, his his first half the next year, uh, two sixty eight ERA and one hundred and fourteen innings. Um, with a 5.50 OPS. So, yeah. Just, I don't know. We've we've been really kind of blessed with uh, uh, great pitching performances across our teams here in the last 10 years, haven't we? Yeah, I'd say so. Even though both of our teams suck at pitching now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so the the last uh, one that I wanted to talk about here, and this one is is pretty darn recent. If you don't remember this one, then you really need to start opening your eyes and watching one of the greatest players of our generation, and that's Juan Soto. He's getting a lot of talk today. <laughs> Juan Soto is, and it's it's a hundred percent deserved. Uh, his second half of twenty twenty one was just nuts. Uh, he had a 348 batting average with 18 home runs. Uh, he walked 87 times, 16 of them intentional, only struck out 41 times uh, for a 199 WRC+. Like, that's incredibly reminiscent of the 2015 um or was it the 26th? I think it was the 2015 Votto season we were talking about just a few minutes ago, um, but with considerably more pop. Like, he... People think he should have won the MVP last year, and I get that argument. He was outstanding in the second half. Uh, Bryce Harper was just equally good in the entire season. And that being said... Soto's full season was still amazing. Uh, his first half, he was about a 280 average with uh, 11 home runs. Um, and I think, what was the was the walks? Because I think that was the other part that was pretty, pretty different. Uh, in about 60 walks um, while striking out 52 times. So that's that's a really good first half. But his second half was was what really did it. Um, and he still ended up being pretty comparable numbers wise to Bryce Harper and put up a seven war that season. So this kid is just nuts. 
His uh, yeah. what, if I his remember offensive... right, they were talking about the uh, the home run derby getting his swing back into form last year, mid year. So maybe that happens again this year, and he turns things around because he he really hasn't been the the Juan Soto that we know in the first half this year. No, this is actually uh, his his worst season yet uh, in the majors, which is he's still really good, of, but he's not the I, same. Well, I was going to say, which is kind of saying something because he's still been pretty darn good. Um, so he's he's put up two point four WAR so far this year. Um, so he's kind of on pace to be right around that twenty eighteen level. Um, but his batting average so far this year is all, all the way down at 245. He still has 20 home runs. He's still walking 20% of the time and only striking out 14%. Um, and his BABIP at, is just like pretty, pretty low for him. Um, so I think that suppressed BABIP and batting average kind of go hand in hand. So I would kind of expect him to maybe not have the 2021 second half, but I would expect him to have a lot more typical second half for his career. And, and all this being said, his WRC plus this year is still 149. Like, uh, he's kind of suffering for the same things that every other player has been because his 245 batting average, which is about, 40 points lower than his career low still has him 50% better than average. So what does that tell you? He's really good. Yeah. So his, his return in a trade is going to be absolutely nuts. All right. You got anything else you want to talk about today? Any other second halves, any, any other topics at all? Just want to talk about Austin Riley real quick, who right. just shockingly is having an even better season than he did last year, which is seems impossible because he was so good. Uh, he had that elevated BABIP. People were like, oh, yeah, this is like career season for Austin Riley. No, he's, he's matching it and, and doing some things better than he did last year. More slugging. Uh, he's got 28 home runs. I think he was on some 13 or 16 game hitting streak. His average is 297, 360 OBP. He's been a 4.3 WAR player to this point in the season. Just absurdly good stuff from Austin Riley in in the last month, especially. So he could be a guy we're talking about in a few years for having a legendary second half performance. Yeah, and and so far this season, uh, his 28 home runs is only five below his career high that he set last year at 33 home runs, and last year with pretty darn identical numbers to what he's doing right now he finished seventh in the mvp and i kind of think he should have finished higher uh because last year he was just so so good um but yeah so he did finally get his first all-star appearance this year uh albeit it was in a um replacement form not not voted in unfortunately um but he he does get to add all-star to his resume and he 100% deserves it. You know what's absolutely absurd that I'm just noticing right now there's 1 2 3 4 5 oh wait 1 2 3 
four. Yeah, five. There's five third basemen in the top ten in F4 right now. At this Are there moment. really? Yeah. So, uh, let, let me see if I could guess them. So it's Arenado, uh, Machado, Austin Riley, uh, J Ram, and we talked about this guy today. Devers. Yep, Devers. Crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Although they all make a hundred percent sense to me. Yeah, for sure. But I think we even said it like maybe two or three weeks ago that like it was weird because last year all the third basemen were just really kind of lackluster, and then this year they're all the best players in the league. But all those players were good last year too. But well, they were, but they were all having like off seasons for themselves. Yeah, and other other players were playing at an incredibly high level, and so it kind of moved them down on the list. So, cool. Uh, so yeah, watch out for Austin Riley's second half and and Juan Soto's second half because I think if he moves and goes somewhere else, I would expect him to put on a show for his new fan base. Yep. Like this kid is a game changer for any team. So, I mean, there's a reason that he's pretty much always comped to Ted Williams. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see uh so thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight uh if you enjoy the podcast make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or youtube and on youtube make sure to hit that notification bell Ding. ring the bell and you will get notifications from us when we post um make sure to let us know your thoughts on uh, uh through the youtube comments or by leaving a review on apple podcasts or uh, on you, uh, Facebook or Twitter at Getaway Day Pod. Check out our TikTok. I've started posting some videos on there. Uh, I'm going to start doing some show and tells of some of the memorabilia that's usually behind me. Uh, some of the baseball cards that are in this box up here, this box down here, and some cases back there. Uh, I did just post one uh, about a really, really cool Albert Pujols. You should go check it out. Um, make sure to, uh, watch out for the posts on the giveaway because, uh, or that way you can get entered to win this Aloy and Luis double bobblehead. Uh, I think Gowie, do you have your sitting next to you or is it in the other room? So it's over there. Oh, crap. I was going to say if it's within arm's reach, show them the one that's not in the box. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's going to do it. So thank you very much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And we will see you back here next week to talk about all of the big crazy trades that have happened between now and Tuesday of next week. at trade that line. Juan Soto is going to be an Oriole. Juan Soto is going to be an Oriole. You heard it here first. We will correct that next Wednesday. Have a great night. All right. So thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us as we recorded that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, is there I seem to have messed up my camera thing here a bit. Uh, so. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back here next week. If there's any anybody in the chat that's got questions or comments or anything, um, please feel free. We could stick around for a couple minutes and, and chat. Uh, Otherwise, we'll probably get a raid going here. Um, so, yeah, I guess 
if there's anyone lurking in the chat uh, that wants to participate, uh, what is your favorite second half um, that you've seen um, in your lifetime? Like, I, I know there's some pretty, pretty darn good ones. Christian um, Yelich in 2018 is, a, is another good one. Yeah, Christian Yelich in 18. CC uh, uh, Sabathia, 2008. Uh, that was his Cy Young season, right? Did he win the Cy Young? I don't know. But that was oh, the year he, he got not? traded to the Brewers. Yeah. Um, let's see. And, and I was looking like, uh, so kind of like the the first like insane second half that that people talk about, or like the oldest one people talk about, is the uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio 1937. Is he just went freaking nuts that year? I, I'll have to pull up that uh, uh, that article I was reading um, and send that to you. But that was actually an article from about five days ago that was on MLB. Um, let me actually find that real quick. Um, I'll drop it here in the here in the Twitch chat. Um, but yeah, so that's 11 of the best second half performances that uh, Brian Murphy of MLB.com um, could think of. And and he did actually have some of the ones we were talking about on here. Uh, Jack Flaherty, uh, Jake Arrieta, uh, the Yelich one that uh, Gowie just mentioned. Uh, but then some other guys like Manny Ramirez, uh, Johan Santana, uh, the Barry Bonds 2002 season. Uh, Albert Bell, George Brett, Sandy Koufax, Lou Brock, and all the way back to Joe DiMaggio. Uh, when he put up uh, 89 runs scored in the second half for 248 total bases. Uh, he was third in extra base hits at 59 in the second half, third in RBIs at 99, um, and he was just ultimately better than Lou Gehrig, who had a 1.11 OPS after the break on the same team. Like, that's just nuts. So, all right, cool. Well, let's find us a raid then. Uh, well, Dude Foods do or playing Power Wash Simulator. That's always a good game. Um, let's see what we got for baseball stuff. Uh, Anybody playing MLB The Show? All right, uh, we're actually going to go over and raid a guy who I've kind of uh, started chatting with a bit uh, about baseball cards and stuff. Uh, he goes by Crispy. He is a Twitch partner, uh, big Braves fan. Um, so feel free to ask him questions about the Braves. Uh, we'll go over there and give him some love. So thank you very much for hanging out with us today. And we will see you back here next week. And I'll get all the giveaway stuff posted so you can check that out. Hopefully here in about the next 15 minutes. Thanks. Have a great night.